Welcome to Storytime with Uncle Reddit, a podcast where I read some of the best posts from across Reddit and around the web. Each episode is a collection of funny content that includes subjects like tales from tech support, entitled parents, choosing beggars, pro-revenge, and more. Today's episode is all about tales from tech support. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to the channel, everybody. Sorry this video is a little bit late. Ran into some technical issues last night, and uh, about 90% of them were up here. Ran into some glitches with the microphone, catching vibrations from the computer, and the camera shaking because it was connected to my monitor, which is supposed to be stable. Oh, listen. The song of our people. So I don't know if you guys can hear it, but my neighbor is running a demo saw so that he can cut slate for the sidewalk that he's installing in front of his house. He's a mason by trade. He's not doing anything illegal or rude. It's just my luck. If I decided to wait till Monday morning first thing to record this, guess who would be outside with a demo saw? The last place I lived, it was an old guy with a weed whacker and a leaf blower. Oh well. Let's read some stories. This first one's an email submission from James called Bad Chips. Long ago, a small company was started to make chips. This was all new technology. A heady time when it seemed anything could be done. The company was doing well but had a weird technical problem. The first run chips that were being made on Monday mornings were not passing QC. They only ran a five day week so the plant was shut down Friday and then restarted on Monday. For the less technical folks, chip fab is 1. Silicone wafers that are cut and polished. 2. Circuits are printed using photolithography. 3. Wafers are heated to set the print. Wafers are washed, number 4. Steps 2, 3, and 4 are repeated for every layer. Early chips had only a few layers. Number five, the completed chips on the wafers are sliced apart. Number six, chip is set in its IC package. Number seven, the IC is tested. Back in the old days, at the start of the digital age, a lot of fabrication equipment wasn't custom made, but was adopted from other industries. This becomes important. Time and money were spent to find out why they had this weird problem. The first runs on Monday yielded a low percentage of usable chips. Subsequent runs improved the percentage until the expected yields were reached. This went on for months. One Friday night, one of the founders of the company was out and stopped by late at night to pick up some papers. The plant was shut down and the cleaning crew was busy preparing it for the Monday start. He noticed the smell of pizza. The ovens used in step three were essentially commercial pizza ovens, so the cleanup crew was enjoying fresh baked pizza while they were working. This contaminated the ovens with organic compounds and those were eventually burned out by a series of heating runs. They had found their problem. Wow, I'm pretty sure it wasn't a totally clean environment, not like... Well, maybe it was. I don't know what kind of environment it was, but I can imagine like, you know, white Tyvek suits even back in the day or something similar, you know, kind of white glove clean because, you know, even back then they knew that contaminants in the silicone and everything would kind of ruin your circuitry. But, uh, yeah. Pizza grease from that steam when you're cooking them in the ovens, just, yeah. That can't be good for circuit boards at all. Chips, whatever. Can't log in. I work in healthcare, but not IT. However, I'm generally the go-to guy for IT stuff in our clinic and have been deemed the clinic's super user for using our electronic medical record system, essentially making me tier one support for my colleagues. But that's not important to this story. 
I'm sitting in my office yesterday at lunchtime and I hear one of my colleagues, Dave, talking to a junior trainee, resident, Bob. Hey Bob, you use Macs, right? We don't use iMacs at work, so I know he's talking about his personal computer at home. I do, replied Bob. Well, I need some help. I bought this gorgeous 27-inch iMac and can't log in. And the conversation fades and I don't hear any more. Late that afternoon, I'm walking with Dave out to our vehicles to head home. Any exciting plans for the evening, I ask? No, I'm going up to the mall to go to the Apple store. I can't log into my iMac. Right, I overheard you talking to Bob about that at lunch. He wasn't able to help? Tell me what your issue is. Well, I had this iMac I bought a couple months ago. When I set it up, I logged in using a code on my Apple Watch, and since then I just type a password to log in. But for the past couple days, I haven't been able to log in. I turn on the computer and it starts up, but then nothing. I click with my mouse and get the login box, but then it doesn't respond. I can move the mouse cursor, but I can't get it to do anything else. Hey Dave, have you charged your keyboard? What? The keyboard needs charging? Well, I said, since it's new, I'm assuming it's a wireless keyboard, so it runs on battery power. And for the past couple years, the iMac keyboards and mice don't use alkaline batteries, they have built-in rechargeable ones. There should have been a cable that came with it, and you just need to plug that into the keyboard and a USB port on the computer and you should be good to go. After a few hours, you can unplug it again. And for good measure, you should probably charge your mouse too. Give it a go and text me later to let me know if it works. Well, I was wondering what that cable was for. Two hours later, I get a text. You were right about the keyboard and mouse. Thanks for saving me a trip to the Apple store. So, you know, as a person of the male persuasion, I understand that sometimes we just kind of bull our way through things and don't read the directions and stuff like that. But if you've got a wireless keyboard and you've never really had experience with one, wouldn't you be curious about what made it work? What made it tick? Like, my remote's wireless for my TV. It's not rechargeable. It still takes batteries. My phone. My phone is wireless. It doesn't take removable batteries, but it does need to be recharged. And oh, by the way, pretty much all cell phones for the last 20 years plus have had rechargeable batteries, even since my big old brick Nextel push-to-talk phone. Oh well. At least he's got good co-workers that are willing to help. My friend is good with computers. A few weeks ago, a customer contacted us to tell us his PC wasn't powering on. Me, thank you for contacting computers. How can I help you? Customer, yes, I have a PC that's not booting. Me, I'm sorry to hear that. Would you mind elaborating a bit more as to what's happening? Customer, well, when I turn it on, it's not turning on. I have my friend look at it and he tells me there's no power supply. He's really good with computers. Me, I'm sorry. So it's missing a power supply? Customer, yes, that's what he told me. When I go to turn it on, it shows the PC's splash screen saying SUS in search for imposter, and then it just loses image. I can get to the BIOS screen, but not anywhere past that. Me. Wait, so it's not missing a power supply, it's just not booting into Windows then? If it had no power supply, you wouldn't have seen any of that. Customer. Oh, well, what do I do then? Me. I'll go ahead and send you some instructions to get it booting for you. We got him back up and running, but either his friend is only good at pressing the power button, or he misheard his friend entirely. I love it, man. The friend sees a splash screen sees that it can go into BIOS and swears there's no power supply. The thing that gives it power so it can do those things. Yep, good at computers. Dad says I'm a good driver. Teacher in a classroom not knowing how to deal with a water-damaged laptop. This was a couple hours ago at the time of posting. I was in a classroom at this time. Let's call the teacher Jane and the student John. I wasn't looking at the time, but I think that John might have tilted an open water bottle. I immediately see it as I'm walking around the room and rush to shut down the wet laptop. And to get all of my tissues, yes, tissues, to clean the thing. As I'm rushing there, Jane says to turn on the wet laptop. Me. 
<sighs> you wouldn't want a sky-high replacement pill, right, Jane? Jane, just turn it on. Me, no, that could probably kill the motherboard and the whole laptop as well. Jane, oh, that's like a 0.1% chance of happening, okay? Me, no, more like 65% chance right now. That's why I turned the laptop off. We cleaned the laptop the best we could and we turned it on. I had to plug the laptop in, but it did work. Jane, I told you so. Me, um, it was because we cleaned the laptop, Jane. I'm not sure where anybody would think it was a good idea to get something that's electronic, laptop, cell phone, tablet, whatever, wet, and then immediately turn it on. Like, in what universe is that ever a good idea? Like I've said before, I used to work in construction and we had a guy who had a, uh, an older skill brand worm drive saw. Worm drive saw is a little bit different. The blade's on the left-hand side and it has a worm drive gear, which gives it a little more torque. The blade's a little smaller, but it's great for cutting like when we used to hand cut rafters for stick-built houses. I loved it when I was cutting off the stack of plywood for sheathing or anything else. I could, I could lay that saw down and run a straight line quicker than anybody. And uh, it was a little heavier, but you know, because of the weight and the way it was designed, I mean, I could run a straight line over and over and over again, no problem. But this guy had one, and uh, he decided that it had a lot of dust in the brushes and stuff. And we had an air compressor at the time. Instead of just blowing it out at the end of the day and then wrapping the cord and putting it in the toolbox, he decided to go over to the fire hydrant where we had a regular garden hose set up to get our water for the masons and things like that. And uh, he turned the hose on it. That's not really that big a deal. You know, he could have doused it, shook it all out, set it out to dry and, you know, used it. It was Friday, so he could have let it dry all weekend and it probably would have been okay on Monday. But for some reason, he finished hosing it out and took it, you know, he did mop off the outside with a towel and then he took it right over to the power pole and plugged it in and started to run it. Well, the older skill saws had metal housings. As soon as he squeezed that trigger, it lit him right up. I mean, lit him up. His hair stood up. His boots were smoking. I'm pretty sure the saw never survived the fall after it got thrown about 30 feet <laughs> from the shock. But, uh, yeah, just not a good idea, folks. My internet's not working. Video has no sound. So I work in tech support for an internet TV phone provider. A couple days ago, I get the seemingly typical call. Older lady starts with, my internet's not working, blah, blah. I think, okay, let's check. I look at the settings on the modem. I see three devices connected. I tell her that I see the Wi-Fi is in fact working, but with the benefit of the doubt, I ask, what device are you using? Can you check if it says connected, no Wi-Fi? Lady's confused. She doesn't know what I'm talking about. After 10 minutes of talking, it turns out the sound on her laptop or on her YouTube video she's watching is off. But I'm a kind-hearted kind of gal and decided that even though it's not my problem, I'll help. It's going to be easy. That's where I effed up. I'm not going to describe the conversation, but it was basically me telling her to find the speaker icon on the bottom of the screen. She has the YouTube video on full screen. Her whispering the word speaker for five minutes, me asking if she found it, and her now again being utterly confused at the instruction I gave. This goes on for about 20 minutes in total, so I finally told her to close the YouTube video and look for a speaker icon on the bar on the bottom of the screen. Another 20 minutes pass and nothing. She says she doesn't have that. So I instruct her to go to the control panel. The process is the same. She whispers control panel for five minutes. I keep giving her different instructions, changing ways we can get to the volume settings, and then she goes into the whispering again. Not talking much, not asking me any questions, just whispering. In the meantime, her husband yells, you off the phone already? Periodically. It now turned into a one hour long call and we're nowhere close to finding volume settings. 
I'm patient, but I'm getting more and more worried that we'll never find it. I tried every trick in the book to make it easier for her to find the volume setting. I'm sweating. The old lady's not giving up. It's been one hour and 40 minutes. We didn't reach the volume setting, and I don't believe it. After spending all this time on this woman, the call drops. Can't reach the customer back. I never felt so relieved and so defeated at the same time. I hope she found a way to turn the volume on. Yeah, it can be frustrating to describe things over the phone to anybody, especially to older people if they're not used to technology. Ashtrays on the disk drives? This is an early 80s mainframe story. Back then, I worked worldwide software support for the DBMS supplied by the UK mainframe manufacturer ICL that ran on their 1900 range of machines and used to have to go on site a lot. Back then in the dark ages, computer rooms were environmentally controlled sanctums with sticky masks to try and minimize walk-in dust. Filtered air that was temperature and humidity controlled. You get the picture. Part of the reason for this was the type of disk drives that were still in use. Disk drives back in those days were something else. Contraptions the size of washing machines that had a capacity of 30 to 80 megabytes. <laughs> Not a mistype. Held on exchangeable disk packs that were themselves 12-inch diameter multi-platter monstrosities that weighed about 10 pounds. Changing a disk pack was quite the operation. Offline the disk on the operator console. Hit the stop button on the drive. Wait for the disk to spin down. Hit the open button. Extract the disk using the carrier slash cover. Screw in the replacement disk. Close the lid and hit the start button. Once the disk had spun up to speed, the read-write heads would fire out and fly above the platters at a distance of only a few one-thousandths of an inch. If any foreign matter got in there, well, things could go south fast. When you have 10 pounds of metal spinning at a couple hundred RPM, well, stop thinking memory stick and start thinking industrial lathe. What has all this got to do with smoking? As I said earlier, most computer rooms were almost controlled to clean room standards. Not in France. Oh no, not in France. In France, on one side I visited, they had installed ashtrays on the sides of the disk drives, so at least that way I've got the operators to agree to remove their cigarette from their mouths while they're swapping disks. Sometimes I wonder if it was a fever dream. Even back then, I can't even imagine smoking around the equipment in a clean room environment. Well, it's amazing we've all survived as long as we have as a species, really. He's my husband. First time poster after landing my first full-time tech support job. Very short, but I thought it appropriate. Hi, welcome to company name. This is Jack. How can I help? Can I speak to Darren, please? Yep, I'll see if he's online. Can I ask who's calling and what the call is concerning? Oh, he's my husband. If he's not at his desk, I'll just call him directly. Oh, uh, thanks, and they hang up. A very similar bonus story. Hi, could I speak to Adam, please? One second, I'll just see if he's available. I'm afraid he's in a meeting at the moment. Can I pass a message on to him? Oh, no, that's fine. I'll just ring him directly. Thanks anyway. I didn't realize service desk meant part-time reception. I was a quality control manager for a uh, Sears-authorized remodeling company <laughs> way back in the 90s. And uh, my job was to go on site and inspect roofs, garage doors, entry doors, storm doors, whatever. Just to make sure the customers were happy, Sears standards were met, yada yada. And uh, take pictures of the job so I could close out the file. When I was in the office, my job was to field complaint calls and things like that. And usually they were messages that were left for me or they were in the Sears system and I got a dot matrix printout, what their complaint was and their phone number, etc. But every time I was in the office, if I was in the office for two hours, I spent about an hour and 15 to 20 minutes answering the phones, like the general incoming line to the office. We had one dedicated secretary just for reception, which we didn't get much in, the, in our office. We had an office just to stay organized. It wasn't like a storefront or anything. And she would also do phone calls. 
And then we had a coordinator who would work between customers and contractors directly to schedule times for installations and things like that. Amazing. For an hour and 15 minutes out of my two-hour slot in the office, and nobody was available to answer phones. And while we got a lot of phone calls in a day, we didn't get that many phone calls. You've been listening to Storytime with Uncle Reddit. If you enjoy this content, be sure to follow my podcast. I upload new episodes at least three times a week.